Welcome to another episode of Waiting on the Lord. This is episode number five. We're primarily going to be in Luke chapter 12. And so while you guys are turning there, um, if you have not already watched the previous four episodes in this series, go watch those. Um, it's not like you need to in order to understand what we're going to talk about today, but it'd be helpful because we've talked about a lot of different ideas that relate to waiting on God that um, I'm going to assume you've, you've heard in this message. And so um, turn to Luke chapter 12 and we'll be in verse 28 through 48. You know, many people think that waiting on God is sitting around until something happens. And that's, that's not the right idea of waiting on God. You know, I received a comment this week on one of my videos and someone was talking about how, you know, you know, you, we're not called to wait on God the way you're saying. And I'm, and I'm going, you think waiting on God means doing nothing. That's not true. Waiting on God is actually moving towards what we believe God is doing in our life. Waiting on God is, is doing everything he's called me to do, everything I can do, while God does everything I can't. So when we say wait on the Lord, we're not saying do nothing. We're not saying sit around until something happens. Sometimes there are seasons in life where you're actually called to stop and cease and actually do nothing except to seek his face and trust him with everything else. But for the majority of our lives, waiting on God is actually doing everything he's told us to do. So, so even within that example, you're doing what he's told you to do. So waiting on God is not doing nothing. I want to make that abundantly clear. And, and how you view your time matters. When it comes to waiting on God, there are two ways that people can view the time they've been given, okay? And you can either look at the time you have to wait as a problem and as something you're just like waiting for time to pass, or you can look at time as a gift, as an opportunity to show God how much you love him, as an opportunity to make the most of it. So there are two kinds of groups when it comes to waiting on God. One group says, I'm just waiting for the time to pass. I'm just waiting until something happens. The other group says, no, I'm going to make the most of the time I've, I, I've been given. And, and, so, and so those who think that time is a, is a problem to be solved, or those who think time is just something to allow to pass, you're going to waste the time you've been given. Those who understand that time is a gift, though, they'll make the most of their waiting period. And so here's my encouragement to you. Make the most of your waiting period, man. Don't be lazy. Don't be complacent. Don't do nothing. Don't sit around doing nothing and go, I'm just waiting for something to happen. Don't just pass the time. That's not the right idea of waiting on God. Those who actually truly wait on the Lord will make the, the best use of their time. Like Ephesians 5 says, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 15, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now watch making the best use of the time. That's what it means to live wisely. You want to be a wise person? Make the best use of the time you've been given, whether you're waiting or not, because the days are evil. Now, here's how you do that. Because you go, how do I make the best use of my time? How do I walk as wise? I don't know what that practically means. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Then he'll go on to list what the will of the Lord is not. Don't get drunk with wine, right? Um, be filled with the Spirit. Because those who think, oh, the, the, the will of God is for me to just kind of abuse His grace and be drunk all the time, that's not the will of God. For you to take advantage of, of, of the grace He's been given and just live in that sin He's called you out of and just waste the time by being drunk all the time. And there's some people that do that. 
and they're just waiting for life to end so they pass the time by staying in a drunken state because they don't want to deal with life sober. And so don't be drunk with wine. There, there are many ways to explain what the will of God is. Okay, there's, there's, there are many ways to explain that. Paul could have said anything. Okay, but he's mainly talking about being filled with the Spirit instead of being filled with things that actually impair your vision, that actually disrupt your, your senses and cause you to make bad decisions. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, okay? And make the best use of your time. So, the question becomes, do you understand what God's will is for your life? Do you understand, like, in your waiting period, while you're waiting on the Lord, do you understand what He's told you to do? Do you have a, a clear enough view of God to know this is what He wants me to do while I'm waiting? Do you know what He's called you to do while you're waiting for Him to do what you can't? Because, let's admit, there's a lot of things we can't do. And to trust God, to remain humble at His feet, is to admit, there's a lot I have zero control over and there's a lot I can't do, so I trust you to do what I can't, but I can still do what I can. I can still do what you've told me to do. And it's not sit around, it's not passing the time, it's actually using the time wisely. And sometimes we're at a standstill in one area of our life, right? And we're just waiting. Uh, nothing's happening. In the meantime, you can be doing something else. That's what I really want you to see and hear throughout this message is while you're waiting for something to happen in one area of your life and for God to move and answer the prayers and the cries of your heart, you can still be doing something else while you're waiting, which is to move towards what you're believing God to do. What does it look like to faithfully prepare for what you believe he's going to do? What does it look like to actually anticipate God to move in that area of your life? What does it look like to make preparations and to make space for that? So there's an element of Hebrews chapter 11, 6 will tell us there's an element of being assured, like be certain that God is going to move. Um, so at the end of the day, here's what I'm saying. When it comes to waiting on God, we need to have assurance and we need to have faith while we wait. And the assurance and the expectation is that I'm convinced God is worth the wait. I'm going to say that again. When you're waiting on God, you need to be convinced at the deepest part of who you are that he is worth the wait. It's being expectant. It's living open-handed and saying, God, you're going to do something. Whether that is perfectly aligned with my agenda and my ideal situation, doesn't matter. Your will be done. I'm expectant and I'm anticipating you to move. Hebrews 11.6 will say, look, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the hymn. Whoever would draw near to God, if you're going to draw near to God, you got to believe he exists. That's a presupposition to seeking God. That's an underlying uh, you know, premise is that I believe and am convinced he exists. So I'm, seek I'm not seeking nothing. I'm seeking a living being. I'm seeking the true and living God. You must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's a, there's a double purpose going on here. The purpose of me seeking God is number one, okay, always to glorify his name. That, that assumes that he exists and I'm not seeking nothing. The second thing is I'm seeking God knowing that through my seeking, there's a reward coming. What that reward is, how he defines that, when it happens, who it comes through, that's him. That's on him, okay? But the main reward in mind in Hebrews chapter 11 is the crown of life. At the end of a life that has been lived in faith and trust in the gospel and, you know, faith is the way into salvation. So if you're going to believe, right, you got to be convinced he is worth the wait. Some of you are not convinced that God is worth the wait. 
That's why you jump from thing to thing. That's why you give up so easily. You can start a lot of things, but you finish almost none of those things. And you don't see them through. You don't have the discipline or the self-control to actually maintain and see it all the way through because you're not convinced at the core of who you are that in this moment, what I'm doing, he's worth the wait, so I'll see it through. You're not there yet. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll see there's a need for all of us to get to a place where we know in this season, while I'm waiting, whatever he's doing, he is worth the wait. He's worth it. Not his hand, not what he's doing, not what he's gonna give, just him. He is worth my waiting. He's enough, so don't waste your waiting. God has given you an opportunity. Don't waste it. Get to work with him. Do what he's called you to. Instead of focusing on what you can't do, do what you can and trust that he'll do what you can't. Okay, it's a partnership. God has desired to partner with humanity. From the very beginning all the way to Genesis, God has our best in mind, yes, and he created humanity to partner with him in cultivating and expanding and ruling under his authority. The problem is we don't want to partner. We don't want to actually like partner with God. We want to do our own thing on our own time and just slap God's power on that and authority and just say, just stamp this. Just give me the permission to go through with this. Instead of seeking his face and going, what do you want? We say, here's what I want. Can you stamp it so I can move on? So don't waste your waiting. I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 12. I told you to go there. Luke chapter 12, verse 28. This passage as, uh, I don't know, this one is so clear on what it looks like to wait. When I say waiting, okay, when I say waiting, again, it's not laziness. It's not complacency. It's not waiting for something to happen while I do nothing. It's all, all move once something happens. It's while nothing is happening that I don't even see. I'm trusting that God is working and I'm going to get to work myself doing what I know I can. And that's the problem with a lot of us is we're so focused on what we can't do that we almost uh, cripple ourselves into, into doing nothing. And we're like, well, I can't do that. Therefore, I can't do anything. That's not true. Just because you can't do anything about that specific part of your life doesn't mean you can't do anything at all while you're waiting for God to move and answer. So we're going to read Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Um, this is a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven or six. Yeah, Matthew chapter six. Um, Jesus is talking about anxiety. Now, there's one, two, three, four things I really want you to know about what God wants us to do while we're waiting. Because the question is not, should I be doing something? There's always something I can be doing. Praying, um, cultivating a life of intimacy and, and seeking the Lord and, and maybe fasting and opening my Bible and learning more about who my father is and, and growing in a knowledge of his ways, being sanctified. I can be tending to the church and caring. There's a lot we can be doing that we often neglect and minimize because we're so focused on what we can't do. And Jesus is addressing the fact that, hey, don't be anxious. In verse 28, he says, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the fire of the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't seek what you are to eat. I'm going to say that again. Don't seek what you are to eat. Don't spend your whole life 
going after just the physical temporary needs of this life. Don't spend, don't dedicate your whole life to just addressing physical needs. There's so much more. Don't seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink. That doesn't mean do nothing about the physical needs of your life. It just means those aren't ultimate. I don't dedicate my whole self and time and being and energy and gifts to just addressing my physical needs. I can actually trust God with that, be faithful, right? And, and do my part in planning and making uh, provision and going to work and waking up on time. There's a lot I can do. But at the end of the day, well, if you go to Haggai, God will warn the people of Israel that, hey, you guys are uh, essentially making money just to put into pockets with holes. In other words, you're working super hard to gain things that are just going to fall right out of your pockets. And they're going to amount to nothing because the results belong to God. God makes something amount to something. When you, when you work, the labor of your hands is God is making possible for sure. But the result of that labor is also up to God. He brings the fruit of your increase. He makes it amount to something. He makes it sustain you. Just like Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, he makes that enough to feed the crowds. That's what God does with our efforts. He makes it enough to do what he wants to do. So don't seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink and don't be worried. Now here's what it means to be worried and anxious about these things. Look at the pagan unbelieving nations. All the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. So the pagan surrounding nations that don't believe in the God of Israel, or at least see him as just another one of their gods, they don't have this assurance that they have a father caring for their needs. And so what they do is they busy themselves and stress themselves into the ground, working for what God says he'll give them if they would just tend to his kingdom. Instead, seek his kingdom. At the end of the day, we're all faced with, hey, will I seek what God has told me to, or will I dedicate myself to things God has not called me to? Will I dedicate myself to things that God says is secondary and less than his kingdom as ultimate, or will I seek the kingdom ultimately? You have a choice. Because this is what God says. These things that the pagan nations stress about and worry about and dedicate themselves to. God promises his people, if you seek my kingdom, those things that I know you need, those things will be added to you. And you might not be able to make sense of it while you're dedicating yourself to the kingdom of God and you're waiting for your finances to increase or you're waiting for your marriage to get restored or you're waiting for that addiction to break off you while you're waiting for these things. You don't see how your dedication to God's kingdom connects to those areas of your life. You don't have to know. If God says you dedicate yourself to my kingdom, I'll give you what you need, you trust him. And that doesn't just mean I trust how you're going to do it. But I also trust when you're going to do it and what you're even going to do. Because oftentimes our idea of what we need isn't actually accurate. I have an idea of what I need and I assume that's correct. And then God corrects us and goes, actually, you need 80% of that. The other 20%, you think you need it. That's just a want. That's extra. You don't need that. So I'm not going to add that to you because God always gives us what we need, not always what we want. We have to learn how to distinguish between our wants and our needs. So God says, seek the kingdom. These things will be added to you. Contextually, it's food. It's what, it's what is needed for life. It's what's needed for life. 
You can either try and keep yourself alive and dedicate yourself to, to all your needs and like you think you're the man and you're the center of the universe and you're sustaining yourself and, and you're the source of your life breath or you admit God is the one in charge so I'm going to do what he's called me to while trusting him to care for every other area of my life. Seek his kingdom. Waiting on God always has this at the front of it, at, at, the, at the main, at the top of the whole thing. The main priority for someone who waits on God is the kingdom. And there's a lot packaged within that. There's salvation. There's God's presence. There's my relationship with God. There's the people of God. There's the word of God. There's the ways of God, right? All that, the gospel, is packaged within the kingdom. I am in every season of my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shortcut, okay? For those of you that are like, in different seasons, you wonder, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm just gonna fix everything in one statement. Every area, every, every moment of your life, every season of your life, every age you are, and it, wherever you find yourself, it's always going to be the same. God desires you and me to seek his kingdom. So are you doing that? Are you doing that? If you're not doing what you already know you're supposed to be doing, why would you worry yourself about things that you don't even know about? Why would you concern yourself with things that first of all, you have no control of and God says you have no responsibility about when you're neglecting what he's told you to do? This is what we do. We're like, I'd rather focus on what I don't know instead of put into practice what I do. So I'm just making it very clear, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a teenager, whether you're 80 years old and you're, yeah, your body's starting to waste away. Whether you're employed, whether you're not, whether you have more than enough in the bank, or whether you're struggling and scraping at the bottom of the barrel to get what you need for the day. In all areas and seasons of life, every second, God's desire for you is the same. Seek his kingdom. And he says he'll take care of you the way you're supposed to be cared for. Because he has your best interests in mind. I don't always have my own best interests in mind. I don't always fully understand what I actually need. Sometimes my own wants and desires leak into that. And I assume that's what I need when God goes, that's not what you need. Trust me. Even if you got it, you would actually be disappointed I gave it to you. So that's not what you need. And seeking God's kingdom means I trust he can take care of the things that I need to be alive to tend to his kingdom. Because in order to seek his kingdom, that assumes I'm alive to do that, right? So if I'm gonna dedicate myself to the kingdom of God, what I'm saying is I trust you to keep me alive to be able to keep doing this. Fear not, little flock. I love that Jesus addresses the crowds as sheep. Because to be honest, this is gonna come off offensive, I'm not trying to be. Sheep are stupid. <laughs> the sheep are stupid. Sheep follow something. Sheep will wander. Sheep will wander off a cliff, break their own legs. Sheep are stupid. I'm not saying we are always stupid, I'm saying I'm prone to wander. And if you have yet to admit that about yourself, <laughs> you come back later. This is not the time for you. But I'm assuming you and I agree, yeah, we need help. 
we need to be led. So Jesus addresses the crowds as sheep, little flock, which means they need to be cared for and led. He's the good shepherd. He says, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Pause. When it comes to waiting on God, I'm not hoping he's going to give me something. Hoping from the world's perspective is wishful thinking. When you talk about hoping, when it comes to how the world sees hoping, they, the culture defines hope as just wishful thinking. It might happen. It's a maybe. Biblical hope is eager expectation. Like this is guaranteed to happen. And I'm not open to the possibility that it won't. If God says it, it's going to happen. So when you are seeking the kingdom, God has promised it, I will give it to you, okay? And this is not just a one-time, I believe the gospel and I receive. That is beautiful. Salvation happens in a moment for sure. But the daily need to seek God's kingdom is still there. Seek the ways of God. Seek the presence of God. Care for the people of God. Advance the kingdom of God. Push back the enemies of God by the grace of God. Preach the gospel of God. The kingdom should be the center of our life. If it's not, you're probably waiting wrong. I'll tell you right now, if you're in a waiting season and you're just waiting for God to do something and the kingdom of God is not the central focus of your life, you're waiting wrong. All biblical waiting is centered around the kingdom and it's guaranteed he's going to give me that. It's not a maybe, it's not a possibility, he promises. In other words, our seeking is not in vain. We're not pursuing something that we might not get. We're pursuing something that's guaranteed. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So if I haven't made it clear, the very first thing that you are supposed to do every day of your life until the Lord calls you home is to seek first His kingdom. And if you're waiting for God to do something while you're not seeking His kingdom, uh, you're missing out on what God actually wants to do in your life assuming he's going to do it. Here's what God actually does. He chooses to. I'm not saying God is, God is uh, incapable of doing this. I'm saying God chooses to work through your obedience to give you what he knows you need. This is what he says. Seek his kingdom and I'll give you what you need. I'll give you what the nations look for, but they're looking for it without me. So how does God give us what we need to have the fullest life this side of heaven and advance his kingdom and be equipped and to resist, you know, temptation. How does God give us what we need? It's through our seeking. Could God give it to us apart from our seeking? I'm sure he could, but the way he's wired this relationship, the way he's wired the world is that we seek his kingdom. He supplies what we need through that faithful obedience. So while you're waiting for God to do something and you're going, yes, and you're doing nothing, you're actually ignoring the way God wants to do it through. God wants to 
whatever you're waiting for and believing God's going to do and you see it, it, that there's scripture to back it up and you've gotten counsel and you've prayed and you're like, this is what God wants to do. Sanctify me. Let's just, for instance, God wants to sanctify me out of this addiction or out of this bad habit or out of this mental habit, okay? God wants to sanctify me, sure. But if you're not seeking his kingdom and opening the scriptures and spending time in the presence of God, you're missing out on the very way God wants to answer your prayer or do what you're hoping for, which is through your seeking of his kingdom, which is a daily pursuit. It means you're looking for something. Are you looking for God like he's going to be found? Are you looking for God's kingdom like it can be found and like he's actually going to give it to you? And the kingdom is, again, our eternal, uh, where our eternal citizenship is. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. It's, a, it's a, a government, you might say. The government is on his shoulders. So the kingdom is something that I'm included into. My citizenship is here. He's the king in charge of it all. There's a way to function in this kingdom. And he says, hey, my citizens, my children, seek my kingdom first. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom, he says. You either believe that or you don't. Now, if you believe it, then you'll say, okay, even while I'm waiting for other things, I'm going to spend my time seeking and advancing and expanding your kingdom. Even when things aren't happening as quickly as I want, that's not going to change the passion and the tenacity with which I'm seeking your kingdom. In other words, the, the, the passion that I'm seeking God's kingdom with shouldn't change based on what I see God doing in my life. It's like, well, I'll passionately seek your kingdom if I see evidence that you're answering my prayers and doing something. I need to see evidence of progress, God. Then, then I'll start seeking your kingdom more ferociously. Really? I don't see anywhere in here that it says, hey, the passion with which you seek the kingdom of God is based on how much you see happening in your life. It should be like a constant thing. A constant stream of seeking. When I see him moving in my life, hey, look, you're answering my prayers. Look, you're doing what you said you would. You're doing what I've been waiting for. I'm still going to keep seeking his kingdom the same way I've been. When I don't see him moving, I'm going to keep seeking his kingdom the way I've been. And if you slow down based on the fact that you don't see God moving in your life or doing what you want, then wouldn't you call that conditional seeking? So fear not. Here's what Jesus is saying to the crowds who are, ultimately, if you're caring about food and water and clothing, different culture. Okay, so we got to try and bridge that gap as best as we can because for those of us, especially at least in America, uh, this, this is a, a foreign idea. I'm not really worried so much about whether or not I'll have running water or food on the table. Like we have a pantry full of food. And so this is, bridging this gap is a, is a little touchy. But at the, at the root of it is money. Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12 are par parallel scriptures that Jesus is mainly addressing this mentality that Christians have where it's like, I just need to work harder and get more money so I can know that my needs are taken care of. Then I'll know I'm taken care of. Really? Like you only know you're taken care of when you see the money in your bank account to actually care for those needs? You don't actually look to your father and say, even if I don't see the money yet, as I'm doing everything you've called me to, I trust you will care for my needs. 
isn't our are our needs met by our father or by our own money? And you go, well, practically money. Who gave us that? Who made way for our work to actually produce that money? Who made it possible to have the body to even go to work to earn money? It all goes back to God as being the source of any good we experience. This is what James says. All good things come from the father of lights. So if you're seeking money as ultimate and going, I just need more money, then I'll be good. Then I, can, then I can really seek God's kingdom because I won't have to worry about my needs, right? That's the wrong mentality to have because it's conditional again. And I'm trying to get you to understand that we don't seek God's kingdom once our problems are solved. We seek his kingdom, right? Even when we're not seeing our problems solved, even when we have pre-existing problems that aren't getting solved and, and they're piling up, I'm going to keep doing what he's told me to. And maybe I need to do it a little different in this season. Maybe I need to adjust the way that I'm seeking his kingdom. So I don't want to make it sound like seeking the kingdom of God is always this one dimensional thing. There's one way to do it. There's, there's varieties of factors within this idea that vary within the seasons of life. Okay. But at, at the baseline of my life, the foundation, the base minimum of what I'm doing is I'm at least seeking his kingdom. And for some people, that means selling stuff. For some people, that's taking what you have, giving it away so that others can profit off that. But ultimately, it's at least seeking the spiritual and heavenly treasure God makes available um, through his son. Now, we haven't even gotten to the passage that I wanted to get to. That's just... That's just all context. He says, where your treasure is, this is key. Where your treasure is, what you value most in this life, your heart is there. Your heart is there. And where your heart is, your life will follow. Do you understand? So some of you love money. Some of us love luxury. We love pleasure. We love uh, fame and adoration and being wanted, right? Where your treasure is, ultimately, you will make decisions around that ultimate treasure. Your life will follow the direction of your heart's greatest treasure. So be careful and, and, and take, a daily, take daily inventory to evaluate what you value most and go, hmm, where am I really at? Be honest. So the first thing when it comes to waiting on God, what does God want us to do? He wants you to seek his kingdom. That's not something that ever stops. Now, granted, if you're in a coma, that's different. I'm not going to like come to the hospital and go, come on, bro, seek the kingdom. What are you doing? There's obviously like ways to talk about this, but there's something I can always be doing while I'm conscious, while I'm alive while I'm able to think properly. There's always something I can be doing. And we minimize what we could be doing, again, because we're so focused on what we can't. And, and it's like the fish, in the, lo uh, the fish in the loaves, where Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, and this little boy brings a lunch, um, and the disciples go, that's cute, kid, but this really isn't gonna help anyone. This could barely feed a family, you know? What is this for so many? 15, 20,000 people. Here's three fish. That's cute, Junior, but not gonna help. 
and we, and, we, and we devalue, we minimize the significance of one step of obedience, one act of obedience. We have no idea what God intends to do through our faithful decision to seek his kingdom. You don't. I don't. And even if I look back in hindsight, I still can't truly and fully understand all that he's done, those moments that I chose to seek his kingdom when it was hard. If you think seeking, seeking God's kingdom comes without opposition, if you think seeking God's kingdom is always an easy thing and isn't possible under pressure, you're sorely mistaken. That's precisely what seeking the kingdom is. It's through adversity. It's through difficulty. Not once difficulty is gone. Not once I'm out of the storm. Not once he solves my problems. Not once he addresses my financial need and I have enough money in the bank for the next three months, right? And I got my security deposit down. It's even while things are still absolute chaos and mayhem, I'm going to seek his kingdom. Because ultimately, where your treasure is, that's where your heart follows. Do you treasure the kingdom of God above the things of this temporary world? If you don't, then what you'll do is you'll choose the temporary fleeting things of this life and miss out on the beautiful benefits of, coming, of being a part of this kingdom. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means God had a lot more for you to enjoy and experience in this life. You chose to sacrifice the best God had for you in the name of going after what you thought you needed. Verse 35, here's where we really start playing this game. Okay, that was all just the warm-up. Turn on your controllers. The game has officially begun. Verse 35, okay, on the heels of seek first the kingdom, on the heels of, hey, dedicate yourself to the kingdom and just trust God with all that you're worried about. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. Is there waiting going on here? Yep. Is it a bunch of servants sitting on the couch, like toggling through Netflix going, bro, it's been nine minutes. I don't think we're going to find something that we're going to actually watch. I don't know. Let's just keep looking. He might come any minute. Let's just keep watching some TV. Hopefully he'll burst through the door. These are people who are ready. They're eager. They're expecting the master. They've kept their lamps burning. They're not letting that fire go out. They're waiting for their master. How do we know that? Because the action they're taking. They're dressed for action. And the action you're going to see is service. I'm waiting to serve. It's like every believer, if you are truly waiting on the Lord, you're functioning as a, as a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, just going, can I take your order? Can I get you some water? Can I help you clean that up? Can I get you anything else? Are you enjoying your meal? It's this waiting on God by caring for people. You're going to see that in a minute. Be like men and women, let's be inclusive, who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Okay, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Okay, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. And I've highlighted in pink all these different ways of saying the same thing. These are all different ways of saying what? Seek first the kingdom. And you're going, is it though? It really is. 
everything I've highlighted in pink, it's just another way of saying, seek first the kingdom. But the reason Jesus says it in so many different ways is because each different way is gonna resonate with a different audience. So when I say stay dressed for action, some of you are like, yes, let's go to war. When I say wait for your master to come home, others of you are like, that clicks. That made sense. You haven't made sense the last 36 minutes, but that one got me. When I say stay awake, some of you are like, you know what, I could resonate with that. I sleep through my alarms every day and I'm late for work and I should be fired, but praise God I'm not. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. And I, I see that people are wondering um, why I'm... Um, not showing the scripture, it should, at least on my end. It shows that I'm in Luke chapter 12. Uh, if there's an issue on on your guys' end, I apologize. I can't really do anything about that because it is showing on my end uh, that we're in Luke chapter 12. Hold on one sec. I'm going to try and transition this and fix it. You should see that we're in Luke chapter 12, but in case you don't. Okay, sorry. Hold on one sec. It should have changed. Um, let's do this. And then we'll split it. Oh, why is it doing this lately, man? I don't understand. Can you guys actually pray that this would work? Because, listen, I want you guys to see this. And if you can't see it, ah, it's a bummer. So pray that God would make this work right now. I'm not kidding. Actually pray. Um, Bible screen. Let's go this. Properties. Okay, display. Nope. Display. Mm. Display capture. Built-in retina. Okay. Let's see if this works. Okay. You should see it now. I apologize. That. Thank you, Lord. It was going up and down on my end. But I, I, you guys weren't seeing it. That's a bummer. Oh. Uh, Okay, if you ever uh, want to know where we are in the scriptures, right here, it's really small font, but it'll tell you right there. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. So, um, it says, stay, stay dressed for action. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah, I got to keep my window open to see if it doesn't change. Stay dressed for action, okay? Same way of saying, seek for the kingdom. Keep your lamps burning. That's another way of saying it, which I didn't highlight. So, good thing we're doing this live. Keep your lamps burning. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. Keep that fire going. Be like men who are waiting for their master. You're like, I know how to wait. Do you though? To come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. When he comes, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. Yeah, thank you Lord for making this work. Thank you God. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. He will come and serve them. What? This is the master. The parable is about how to seek first the kingdom. But remember, when you seek first the kingdom, what does God say? All these things will be added to you. In other words, God is adding, caring for. You might say, and I know some of your theology doesn't allow for this, but you might say God is serving his people. Anything God does for us is service, right? He's condescending, coming lower 
and choosing to do something that benefits us, that's service. That's service. We don't deserve it. We're not entitled to it. It's service. God is choosing to benefit our lives. The master in this parable comes home, finds his servants awake, right? He dresses himself for service, has them recline at the table. Relax. I'm here, guys. Let me take care of you. And he serves them. Some of our theology doesn't allow for this. And God is all powerful. He's sovereign, not my God. Yes, you're God. He takes on human flesh. The eternal word emanating from the Father takes on human flesh, leaves his glory, comes into our world, lays down his life, dies our death, subjects himself to the cross, allows himself to be tortured at the hands of the very people he's trying to save. And he stays there until it's finished and he goes into the grave and he rises back to life in full power. That's the God that we serve. He serves us. In, in fact, Acts will tell us God doesn't need anything from us. Anything we do, like God doesn't need us to do that. He chooses to allow our efforts to produce fruit. He chooses to allow us to partner with him. He allows us. And so anything he does for us, we need that. We're in need. We're the ones that are not self-sufficient and self-dependent. We rely on him. He does not rely on us. But he comes and he serves because we need him. And he serves. That's the God we're serving. He says, I'll tend to your needs. I'll care for you. I'll do whatever it is that I know is best for your life. Just tend to my kingdom. That's the way it's going to happen. That's the way it's going to happen. And some of us are sitting here going, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to do something. Nothing's happening in, my, in, my, in this situation. I've been praying. I've been asking, where are you? <laughs> I've been waiting for years, months, same habit, same addiction, same financial issue. What is happening? Where are you? And maybe God has done this to you guys. Maybe he hasn't. But it's like some of you, God is saying, you're not doing what I told you to do. That's what makes way for the things that you're believing for. That's the methodology through which God has decided, I will move. I will answer. I'll do what you need through your seeking of my kingdom. But if you don't do it my way, don't expect my results. If you don't do what I've told you to, don't expect my hand of blessing when you're ignoring what I've told you to do. There are some conditional blessings or answers in prayer or promises that we see in scripture. They are conditioned upon, will you do what he said? Now, a lot of them are conditioned upon Christ. He did all the heavy work. He makes way for all the inheritance and all the blessings we have through our faith. But there's a lot in this life particularly that God says, this is conditional. You'll either meet the conditions and get the promise or you won't. Here's a conditional promise. Seek first the kingdom. It doesn't just say, be one of my children. That's how you're positioned to seek his kingdom. But it says, seek first my kingdom. Those people have all that they need added to them. Now, if you're seeking the kingdom of God as passionately and as fervently as you can, and you're dedicating yourself wholeheartedly to what he said, and you're still not seeing things, there's a lot of reasons why that might be. 
Maybe you expected the wrong things. Maybe that's not good for you. Maybe God never actually said he would give you that and you placed, projected your expectations onto him and your idea of what is good for you, you just assumed that was best. Maybe God is waiting a little longer to really stretch that faith so when it comes, all glory to him. There's a lot of reasons. Maybe you've dedicated yourself to things God never told you to do. And you're like, I'm seeking the kingdom. And he's going, no, you're actually seeking your own reputation. You're seeking your own fame and your own platform and your own ministry and organization. I, I didn't tell you to do that, but you're attaching my name to it as if I did. So we'll talk about when you busy yourself with things God never told you to do. We'll talk about that. But for now, we're talking about the servants that are found awake. Their lamps are burning. They're eagerly expecting the master. They've made preparation. And this master... He comes in and he puts on what you might say is service garments, which sounds a lot like John chapter 13 or 14, I forget, one of those two. Or Jesus, what does he do? Well, he puts on uh, garments to wash the feet of his disciples. What's he doing there? God in the flesh is serving his people. That's what he's doing. He's demonstrating for us, he's modeling for us what it looks like to actually be a citizen in the kingdom. And the king, the king is the one stooping down lower than any of us ever could go because none of us come from that high. He's the only one that comes from that high to come as low as he's come. And he washes the feet of who? His disciples, including Judas. He's showing us what it looks like to serve. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now we always just, uh, our eschatology leaks into this parable. Where we're like, this is all about waiting for Jesus to return and it's going to look like this. And there's all these different assumptions we have. We can at least say, we are waiting for the return of the Messiah. We are. And waiting is not sitting around going, yeah, God, burn them up. Like Jonah, remember Jonah? Preaches to Nineveh, they all turn. He ain't believing it. He leaves the city, posts up for a few days and goes, can't wait to watch this barbecue. Come on, God, come on, come on. Waits a few days, nothing happens. Fire doesn't come. The judgment doesn't come. God doesn't destroy Nineveh. Hmm, what happened? Jonah was waiting for something that wasn't at all aligned with the true plan of God. He was waiting for something else. They repented. They turned. So whenever Jesus comes, we're not waiting like Jonah and sitting and doing nothing and going, do it, God. No, we're actually going to be doing what Jesus does. He's washing the feet of his disciples. That's practically what it looks like to seek first the kingdom. If you're wondering, what do I do in this sickness? What do I do in this turmoil? What do I do in this loss? What do I do while I'm waiting for God to change the heart of my spouse? And nothing's been happening. I don't see any evidence. In fact, he threw his Bible away last night. What, what do I do while I'm waiting for God to move? It's going to be the same all across the board. Seek first the kingdom. How you do that is going to be different than the way I do it. You have different gifts. You have different experiences. You have different callings. Right? You have a different personality than me. You have different people to reach. So we're going to do that differently, but it's going to be the same goal. 
desire, pursue, move towards, advance the kingdom of God as ultimate priority. So, the servants that the master finds awake, they are blessed. Now, there are non-blessed or unfaithful servants. You're going to see that in a minute. Know this. If the master of the house knew what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. So Jesus makes it very clear that this parable correlates to his second coming. So be ready. Because to be ready isn't to know when he's coming. It's to make preparations and to live like he's coming any moment. Boom, boom. It could be now. And it's not even like, it could be, but it's unlikely. It's like, it's very likely right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Serve like he's coming. You hear me? Like, serve like the master's coming any minute. Knowing when the master is coming isn't required to actually expect him and serve him. We expect the master to return, even though we don't know when, and we are living like he's coming any, any second. So, the first thing, seek first the kingdom, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be ready to open the door for the master. They can open the door for him. Wait for the master. Stay awake. In other words, keep your servant garments on. Fan that flame like Paul told Timothy. Serve like he's going to knock any minute. When you're waiting for a package and you're, you're looking at your email and your Amazon order, and you're looking at the tracking and it's like, sent out 9 a.m. this morning, will be delivered between 1, and it's like, it's always like 1 p.m. and like 11 p.m. You're like, ah, oh, just a 10-hour window. And you're constantly checking out that window. Is he here yet? You hear a truck pull up. Oh, he's here. Ah, just my dad. <laughs> you hear the sound of any truck drive by. You're like, my package. You're, you're eagerly waiting. You're checking the window every five minutes. It's like you just checked. It's a 10-hour window. It's only been like 30 minutes. Give, give the Amazon driver a, a break. Let him do his job. There's, there's a kind of anticipation around that. You know it's coming because the tracking details tell you where it is. At least enough to know that today I should be expectant. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's like the package is out for delivery. Well, Jesus at any minute could just show up. And are you eagerly expecting that? Looking, checking all the time. Asking God for that spiritual insight. God, keep me ready. Keep me posted. Keep me serving. Keep me expectant. 1 John chapter 3. I was going to go to one a specific passage, but I've spent almost an hour on my first point. Mm. Not good. Not good. Leandro said, just checked my order an hour ago. I'm going to lovingly say this to everyone listening, because this is for myself too. Um... We spend more time checking on our orders from Amazon than we do checking in with the presence of God daily. You'll pull up that order nine times in one hour. And goes, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? I gotta go get it. I gotta go get it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. It's been a day. Come on, Amazon. 
you said it would be here today. It's like, bro, we used to wait for packages for, for like a week. Now Amazon has it at your door in like two days. Take a break. Take it easy. But we don't have that same passion towards looking for and seeking God. We'll check in with him every week only if life is hard enough. Only if the pressure builds up enough for me to go, you know what? I think there's a God I serve and I should really ask him for help. We don't check in with him as much as we do other things. It's disappointing. First John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay? And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, how we will appear as redeemed, glorified, resurrected children of God, that has not yet manifested. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him. Okay? Same resurrection he went through, same redemptive body transformation he went through, same conquering of death being glorified he went through, that's what's waiting for us. We will be like him. Because guess what? We shall see him as he is. And watch, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if Jesus specifically in this context is pure, without blemish, no stain, no spot, Nothing, you know, ruining his quality. Then I want to live in the direction of what I'm believing for. In other words, spill all over myself. In other words, if I'm believing for a pure, spotless, blameless Messiah to return and transform me into that very likeness, then I should start living in that direction. Does that make sense? If you're waiting for a pure Messiah, then live pure in anticipation of him. If you're waiting for the King of Kings, how did he live? He served. So I'm going to wait for him by imitating his ways. That's the most honorable thing you can do when the King comes, is to have imitated his ways. I, I, I lived like you. I did what you, what you did. I walked around with the compassion and humility and, and, and encouragement that you did. And so our anticipation of Jesus should transform the way that we live. Does that make sense? Our anticipation of Jesus should transform the way that we live. If it doesn't, then I don't know if you're really anticipating, for, anticipating Jesus the way you think. Because our life always follows the direction of our treasure. That's what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 12. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Christ your treasure? You can tell how much you treasure the Messiah, how much you treasure God, by the life you're living. By the life you're living. Which isn't to like condemn or shame anyone. It's just to say, we can all grow. I can treasure him more and I can live a life that's more in the direction of him. I, I can do that. I can do more. Um... I'm going to read Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Uh, don't be envious of wrongdoers. 
they will soon fade like grass. They will wither like the green herb. When, when, when we're waiting, when we've been waiting so long, sometimes it's easy to start coveting the very people who are, who are, um, seem to have what we want. It's, it's easy to start being jealous of people who don't even have a relationship with God. Because we're like, I'm waiting for this and they have that. And we start envying the only thing that they have that we want. And we ignore all the stuff they don't have that we do. And the psalmist is saying, hey, don't worry yourself because of evildoers. It's that same idea. It's that same, don't get anxious, don't worry, don't stress. Don't look at, look, why are evil people so successful? Why are unbelievers seeing such what we would call worldly blessing? Why, why do we see so many unbelievers experiencing what we're praying for, but they're having it disconnected from God? Right, right in that is a temptation for you to stop waiting. And I'm telling you, don't. Because even if you stop and settle for what they have and you get it, it won't be enjoyable. It'll actually destroy you. It'll be more of a snare. So don't, when you look at the lives of unbelievers, it's easy to stop waiting, give up, and go, you know what, God's ways aren't working. I can just get that my way, compromise my values, dishonor God, but at least I'll have it like those unbelievers. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord and do good. What does it mean to trust God? It doesn't just mean I'm convinced you're trustworthy or I believe you're gonna come through or I'm really hoping. It means I continue to do what he said. You, you wanna talk about trust? You wanna talk about trust? Trusting means I do what he says. Even when I don't understand, even when I don't see evidence of progress, even I, when I don't see any of the things I've been believing for as quickly as I'd like, even when life is getting harder, and the pressure's being turned up and people are actually leaving me. The people who said that I'll always be around for you, now they're gone because I, I no longer have what they wanted and they, you know, and so now I can't benefit them. They just dipped. Trust in the Lord and do good. Sometimes when you've been waiting long enough, it's harder to do good because you think it's not working. It's not working the way you want. It's not working as fast as you want. It's not working, you know, the way that you imagined. But trust me, doing the things God has told you to is working. It's working the way he wants it to. So don't go, well, I tried obeying God. I tried serving him when it was hard. I tried following him and I committed my ways to him, but it just wasn't producing. So I stopped. Don't do that. Because you're assuming that your preference or your vision of what was supposed to happen is correct. You don't know what God is doing underneath the surface. You don't know what he's doing in your heart. You don't know what he's doing around you behind the scenes. Commit to doing good. Don't just commit to God's ways up to a point. Don't just, I'll do what God wants. If I don't, I'll give him two years. I'll give him two years. If nothing changes, I'm a dip and try something else. That's not trusting in God. So don't commit to God up to a point and set a deadline that you yourself created. Do good 
all the time, in all seasons, when it's easy, when it's hard, when it's in between, when I barely have the strength to wake up, I'm gonna seek first the kingdom and do what honors him. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. It sounds like, let me say it like this, it sounds like we always have something to do while we're waiting, doesn't it? When you're going, I've just done everything I can. Have you though? It's not like I've done everything I can and then I stop. It's like, hey, what he's told you to do, keep doing it. He didn't give you a deadline and say, oh, you know, follow me for about eight years. If I don't come through the way you want, you can walk away and give up on me. It's this indefinite, lifelong, continue doing good, even when life sucks, can you keep doing what he said? And part of that is delighting in God. He will give you the desires of your heart. Interesting. How interesting that this goes back to Matthew or Luke chapter 12. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if my heart is with God and my heart beats for his presence and his ways and his character and his word, and my heart is with God, I delight in him, I will start to desire the things that he actually wants to do in my life. I'll start to want the things that align with his will for me. I'll start to believe for the things and pray for the things that are true benefit to me because I've, my heart is with him. And so my life will follow. My desires will follow. My ambitions will follow. My goals will follow. It's, your cho- it's my choice to delight in God. It, it doesn't say wait till you feel the sense of this, this spark in your heart. It's delight yourself now. Right now. And you're like, I just need a reason. I don't feel it. I know the atmosphere isn't right. God's given you enough reason every moment of every day to delight in him whenever you want. I always have reason and, a, and, and the opportunity to choose right now in this moment. I delight in you. Like I know that my heart's not there. Maybe my soul's not there. But at the core of my being, I delight. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you for how you've sent your son. And I can begin to delight in him, focus my thoughts in him, on him, and, and, and really find, I guess, joy in him by recalling his faithfulness. I can do that anytime. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Is, is this not Luke chapter 12, but in the mouth of the psalmist? I mean, the psalmist is pretty much like, it's not word for word, but it's idea for idea, parallel to Luke 12. Seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Commit your way to God. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Seek first his kingdom. All these different ways of saying, don't trust in yourself. Don't trust him. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Commit your way to God. Trust in him. He will act. It doesn't say what he's going to do. It doesn't say when he's going to do it. It doesn't say how he's going to do it. But expect God to move when you commit yourself to his ways. That's what it means to wait. That's what it means to wait. As I'm going, Lord, I know you'll act. I know you're worth the wait. So my ways are committed to you. I will continue trusting in you. I'll keep doing what you told me to do. Even if I don't think it's working and I don't see evidence of progress and I don't think it's changing anything, I'll keep doing what you said. 
because it's not based on whether or not it works. Everyone wants to do what works. A lot of people come to Christianity and they believe in Jesus because they're fed this idea that, hey, he works. He works what? He works to do what? What does he work? Ah, he works. He doesn't work on your time frame. He doesn't work out your perfect ideal life. He doesn't, he doesn't work out your agenda every day and your preferences. He, he will act. He will. When you commit your way to him. The problem is, we want to decide how God will act. Right? We're like, hey God, I'll do what you say if you let me have a say in you doing what I want. Like, I, I want to tell you how to act in my life. I want to tell you what to do and what you're going to add to me. And God goes, whoa, 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 delight yourself in me and you'll begin to desire the things that I know is best for you. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. That seems to be one of the things God intends to do and act on contextually, it's he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. This is David looking for righteous justice. His enemies being destroyed, him being, you know, lifted up out of the miry clay, his God defending his, his reputation and pulling him out and bringing him to where he is or where he needs to be. This is God righteously judging on behalf of David. Now we know he's going to do that. We know God's going to do that ultimately. But to believe that, to trust in that, to actually move towards that, to wait for that, means I do what you say even when it's hard, even when the pressure builds up, even when unbelievers are whispering in my ear and family members who are atheists are saying, your life isn't even working. This Jesus doesn't even do anything for you. Even when all that's going on and the whispers are happening and my own flesh is saying, just give in, do whatever you want. You can get it for yourself. Do, do like Eve. I go, no, I've committed my ways to him. I do what he says. I do what he says. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, contextually, you're going, you just said to do good, to commit your way to God, to trust in him. That is what it means to be still. Being still is not sitting around doing nothing. It's not going to a massage uh, place and going, I'm just gonna be still and let your work on me. Do nothing. It means I'm trusting you're working on me, but I'm doing what you've said while you're doing what I can't. So I'm being still. It's this, it's this not having anxiety. To be still is not about the lifestyle and activity. It's about the actual heart posture. You're not anxious. You're not worried. You're not stressed. You trust him enough to keep doing what he says. Even when life is actually getting worse, you keep doing what he says. You wait patiently for him to come through because he will. Don't fret over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, because that's what happens. And we go, my life isn't looking as good as his does. He doesn't even have God, and I have you on my side. Where are you? And worry and anxiety and stress starts to kick in, and that starts to kind of pressure you to do something without him. Hey, 
Feel the pressure of the anxiety. Feel the pressure of your kids saying, you know, our friends have this and our friends don't struggle financially. Feel that pressure to act without God and to dishonor his way, his, 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 him. <laughs> Feel the pressure to like do what he said not to do. And you say, no, I'm gonna do what the Lord says. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to do to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off. Is that true? Yeah. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So again, this is David saying, I can't bring justice to light for myself. I, I can't bring righteousness uh, for myself. I can't bring, you know, uh, defeat upon my enemies myself. But you can. And here's how I trust you. Here's how I know that. I'm going to keep doing what you told me to do. Instead of focusing on what I can't do and trying to do things you didn't tell me to do, I'm only going to do what you told me to. And I'm going to wait for you to act while I'm doing what you've told me to do. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Even though you look carefully at his place, he won't be there. The meek shall inherit the land. This is Matthew chapter 5. Then delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. He sees his days coming. The wicked draws the sword and bends their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword will enter their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. David is waiting for his enemies to perish and to come to nothing. Okay? If you go down to verse 34, it sums it up like this. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. What does it mean to wait for God? Biblically, you keep his ways. You don't just start his ways. You don't just jump up. You keep his ways. You keep his word. He will exalt you to inherit the land. What's this whole idea about God acting for those who keep his way or seek his kingdom? It's right there. It's right there. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. So wait for the Lord. What does that mean? Tell me. It means to keep his way. It means to do what he said. It means commit your ways unto him. It's the garden of Gethsemane, man. It's Jesus going, mm. Father, if there's any, any other way, not my will, but yours. That's what it looks like. It's the pressure building up. It's him sweating drops of blood. It's him being pushed to his physical human limits, relying on God in the midst of his own human desires. And he submits to the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours. That's what it means to wait for the Lord. You do what he told you to. And you don't stop because you get bored or disappointed or confused or discouraged and go, this isn't working. Who told you obeying God is going to work out that way? Who, who told you obeying God will make sure you have oodles and oodles of money flowing in? Who told you that following God will guarantee the success of your business in a way where you're nationally recognized? Who told you that doing what God says means no one's ever going to have any issue with you? Who told you that? 
Who told you, like, doing what God says is going to ensure your kids love you all the time. And they're going to come back and they're going to ignore all the things you've done in their past and all the bad you've done. And they're just going to go, you're an amazing man. Who told you? That waiting on God is going to have these specific results. You see how different expectations cause us to give up on doing what God says? Well, I expected it to look different by now. I expected things to change. You ain't around God, so I'm out. And God's going, who told you? It's the whole, who told you you were naked? Remember that? Wait for the Lord, keep his ways. That's the first point of this message. I apologize. There's three more. I'm saying sorry because this was not my intention. I promise. The second point is going to, we're going to go back to Luke 12. This is our reference. Okay. Now, right after Jesus in this parable goes, you know, blessed is that servant whom the master finds waiting. Peter said, Lord, hey, are, are you telling this parable for us or for, for everyone? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? To give them their portion of food at the proper time. And Peter goes, well, he's not going to answer me again, guys. Here comes another parable. <laughs> Here it comes. God, Jesus is going to answer the way, he's going to answer the question Peter didn't know to ask. While answering the part of the question, part of the question Peter did ask. So Jesus is asking, who is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Who? It sounds like an invitation, doesn't it? It sounds like Peter's going, are we the servants? Like just the disciples? Or is it everyone listening? And Jesus goes, who wants to be a faithful servant? Essentially, here's what a faithful servant does. He gives them, the household, their portion of food at the proper time. It's not just feeding, it's timely feeding. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. So how does the master measure faithfulness? What is seeking the kingdom? What is doing the things of God? Specifically in this context, it's caring for the people of God. It means you're like Jesus putting on the servant garments, washing the feet of his disciples. You're copying him and going, where are my brothers and sisters? Who needs their feet washed? Who needs, who needs to, to be cared for? Who has needs to be tended to? How can I encourage you? How can I strengthen you? How can I pray with you? How can I fight for you? How can I communicate the word of God to actually encourage your faith? Come here, brothers and sisters. I'm here to care for you. That's a faithful servant. Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. That's the second point of what do I do while I'm waiting? Seek first the kingdom. Number two, faithfully care for God's household. And you go, I, I don't know if it's that simple, buddy. It is. We just want to under-spiritualize these things and think there's more spiritual things we can do. Instead of caring for the people of God, like you're talking about being patient 
and understanding and working with people where they are and fighting with people through addiction and praying with people through troubles and, and trials and actually communicating God's word and feeding them the scriptures. There's got to be something more spiritual than that. Jesus is measuring faithfulness in this context and parable by how well the servant cares for the rest of the people. If you're a servant, you are given an objective. You're given a responsibility. If you do anything else except that, you are not doing what your master said and you're not being a faithful servant. If, if, if I... If you hired me to mow your backyard lawn, okay, and I come over and I have a lawn mower and I, I leave it in the backyard and I go into your house and I start doing all your dishes and I put them on the dishwasher and I come to you and go, that'll be 40 bucks, 40 bucks, please. You'd go, um, how high are you? I, I hired you. To mow my lawn, you weirdo. Why were you in my house doing my dishes? I just thought you could use some clean dishes. So here, I hired you. To, you had one job. Did we not agree? You brought a lawnmower. You're supposed to mow. You, well, you're so weird. Yeah, I go, yeah, 40 bucks. That's what we do with God. He's like, I want you to serve my people. And we're like, uh... I started, I started an online uh, uh, ministry where I talk about all the things I've done in my life. Or I, uh, that's not a good example. I, um, what's, a, what's a good example? Ah, I, yeah, today I went out and, I don't know, I passed out flyers to my church. That could be a way to serve and care for people. It can be a way. Inviting people to church, good. But let's say you're the pastor and you're only doing it to make your church bigger so you can be more financially stable. And you're like, look, God, I, I, I'm passing out flyers. I'm trying to like get people into the church, but you're doing it for selfish reasons. You're doing it for self-centered reasons. Um, or let's say God told you specifically, hey, today I want you, you know, through prayer and clarity and confirmation, it's, it's been made clear to you that you're supposed to go and be a part of the homeless ministry or, or serve in the children's ministry and be a part of an event they're throwing. And you're like, I would rather, uh, I don't know. I don't know, God. I, I'm going to go on TikTok and do a live Bible study instead. Now, you didn't do the wrong thing. or You didn't do a bad thing, per se. You just didn't do what God told you to do specifically. So I, I could probably think of better examples, so I'm probably not like being as clear as I should be. The, the point still stands that God measures faithfulness by you feeding, by you caring for, by you loving, by you serving. And if you go out and do something else that looks like serving, but it's really serving you, or it's really exalting you, or it's really just benefiting you, or, or it's, you know... Um, something that appears religious but has no spiritual value. You're not doing what he said. You're not doing what he said. I'm trying to think of my own life examples. Oh, here's a good example. Um, when I was in youth ministry, I would try and, um, I don't know, there'd be days where 
to, to be honest, I didn't want to be around kids. Can I say that? Uh, other days, I loved it, man. I love being around the kids, but it just takes a kind of mental state. If I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, those kids are not going to have a good time. And so some days I just didn't want to be at youth group, to be honest. And I knew I was there to serve. I knew I was there to preach and to, to, to feed them. That's what it means to feed spiritually, is you're teaching them the word of God, which is manna, spiritual manna. And so I you know, knew that I was there mainly to feed them spiritually. Some days just I wasn't there and I just kind of went, I know I prepared a message. I don't really want to. Let's just go have yogurt or something, right? And we'd go and we'd have a good time and there'd be fellowship, right? Uh, we'd, we'd have relationship building opportunities. But like the main point of me being an elder brother and spiritual leader to them is that I was supposed to feed them the word of God. And I'm not saying there's only one context and one way to do that. I could have done that sitting down and encouraging them at the, at the table while we're eating frozen yogurt. Like there are ways I could have done that, but I chose not to, right? I chose to set that aside and define success differently. It's like, God, I'm being successful because I'm with them. And it's like, well, sometimes the ministry of presence is helpful, but if God tells you, open the scriptures and teach these kids the ways of God because they ain't getting it anywhere else, and you go and decide to just play games and have some frozen yogurt and have some enlightening conversations that aren't about God's word but are about life, uh, did you really do what God told you to? And I would have to admit, you know, I don't, I don't think I did those times, to be honest. And there's ways to justify it and be like, oh, maybe you're being a little too legalistic. Maybe. I, I just think if God tells me one thing and I do everything except that thing, I haven't been faithful. And so when God tells you, hey, wait for me, and you're like, okay, I'll start uh, an online ministry, or I'll go and start an organization, or I'll, um, I don't know, feed the homeless, but I'll never share the gospel or share spiritual truth at all. You know, I'm just going to love them. Hopefully they figure out who God is in the process. And you do all these things when God said, I, I actually asked you to go to be a part of a local community and to serve those people and to actually use this, this scriptures, uh, to benefit their life. And you did everything except that. You started an online ministry where you don't even talk about the scriptures. You have prophetic sessions where you say gibberish, not against prophecy. I've made a whole series on it. But you, where you just look at people's names and you go, I think Ronald, you, and then you spend a whole three hours doing that, boosting your reputation, getting people attracted to you, making a name for yourself so you can have more money, and you never actually share the word of God. You're not caring for and feeding my people. You're feeding your own ego. You're feeding, you know, your own selfish desires and growing your platform. And it's like, are, are we really doing what God told us to do? That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to be restrictive about this. I'm not trying to be legalistic and be like, there's only one way to teach the word of God. I'm just saying, if God says, faithfulness is feeding my people with my word and we're doing everything but that, you're not waiting on God. You're not faithfully serving. Well, I'm, fe I'm feeding the homeless. You say nothing about the scripture. You say nothing about the God who actually cares and loves them. And the reason you're feeding them is to have an opportunity to speak in their life, not just to tend physical needs. And I'm not saying be weird about it. And it's like, oh, I always have to insert Jesus into every conversation or I'm a failure. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you feed part of the homeless ministry for 10 years, not one person 
Not one person do you ever describe the love of God or share the gospel with. What are you doing there, man? Honestly, God's love will speak for itself. God will, what are you doing? Faithfulness, according to this passage, faithful service is taking the food <laughs> and feeding it to the people. Now you can do that from a pulpit. You can do that in a small group. You can do that one-on-one -on -one at a coffee shop. You can do that over a phone call. You can do that on Instagram and share the word, the scripture of the day. You can do something to feed God's people his word. You don't have to have a ministry position. You don't have to be in leadership. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have an online ministry. You don't have to have a solid grip on the, you can just, I read Ephesians today and, and I know it says this, so I just wanna share it. And I wanna encourage you. You can go to your, be a part of your local church and before the service starts, encourage people with the scriptures. Sit down and talk with them. How's your week? Good, I just wanna encourage you. When David's actually wrestling through distress and anxiety, here's what the scriptures say. And you feed people the word of God. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. There are many ways to serve people, right? We can serve people's physical needs. We can serve people with our time. We can use our gifts. We can use our resources. We can use our house and say, come on over, have a party. We can serve people a plethora of ways. But if the word of God is never a part of those situations and never a part of that, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering, how are you defining service? How are you measuring success and faithfulness? When God measures it by you taking his spiritual food and feeding people with it, and you're doing something else going, success, and God's going, how do you keep doing that? I'm waiting on God. I'm telling you, part of waiting on God is doing something with what you have. You and I all have a knowledge of his word. Differing degrees, right? Some of us are really well-versed in different uh, scriptures, different pastors or different ideas in the scripture. Some of us are new to the faith. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 300 years and you should have passed a long time ago, but here you are living as long as Methuselah. You know, so there's a way to use what you have. There's a way. Some of you have Instagram platforms. Some of you have people in your household, your family members, your son, your husband that doesn't know Jesus. You can do something with what you have. The problem is we minimize this because we're just waiting for God to do something. God, I'm waiting for something to happen. And God goes, you know what faithful waiting is? It's using what you have for the benefit of others, specifically anything you know about me or my word or my kingdom or my gospel. You are sharing that, not just with unbelievers, but with believers. What do you know that you're sitting on? How much food do you have stored up in the pantry spiritually that could be feeding people? And all the while, you're minimizing that, going, that's not that great. I'm just waiting for God to, to make something happen. And God's going, I, I will make something happen in your life when you do what I've told you to. Because the master is looking for servants who feed them their portion of food. Now watch, at the proper time. 
So we're talking about timely words. We're not talking about shoving scripture down people's throats when they don't want to listen and they told you to stop and they're on the bus and they're not in the mindset to receive what you're saying and you keep forcing it. We're talking about timely words. There's a way to say something that is true the wrong way. There's a way to give truth at the wrong time, uh, in the wrong environment, in the wrong situation. You have to be wise about these things. There are timely words, right? We need to know the scriptures well enough to know which scriptures apply to the situation. I just wonder how much of us care for the people of God. How much of us care for the people of God? Well, I'm going to jump to Hosea chapter 12 in a minute. In the meantime, um, pay attention to this quick commercial. If you've not already done this, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources that are made available to anyone around the world, completely free and accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We have free online Bible study courses that will teach you how to read the Bible. We have free study devotionals that walk you through specific patterns and keywords in the book of Ephesians. We have free Bible study worksheets. We have Bible study workshops. We have all this free content because of generous supporters like you guys. And if you want to support this ministry, we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And there are a bunch of ways to donate. You can go to abovereproachministry.com slash donate. You can give through debit or credit card. You can send a check to P.O. Box 338 uh, Green Cove Springs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon. And then you can also get some church merch. If you've not already grabbed some church merch, I would recommend you do that so you can represent Jesus on your body. And all the proceeds go right back into this content so that we can reach more people and equip people to, you know, live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you didn't know this, I actually have a book. I've published a book. It's called Fruitful. And the point of this book is to be a resource to the church to teach people um, the essential keys for the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven. And so in this book, what I do is I, I outline the gospel absolutely clearly clearly, so you can actually know what the foundational truth is. And then from there, we discover what our purpose is, what our process is, and what our position is now in Christ. So if you are a new believer, or if you're a believer that really wants to understand what I believe are the essential key truths that a lot of people don't understand in the church, I would grab a copy. And if you haven't already joined our online church, get in that online church. We have a lot of cool stuff happening, events every single day, pretty much. Uh, We're in there praying and fellowshipping and gathering and growing together as a community. And the last thing is this. If you haven't already checked out our podcast, uh, we have podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else where you can get a podcast. And pretty much all the content on YouTube, the live streams, what we do is we um, make that into podcast format so you guys can just listen on the go. So go check that out if you have not already. And let's get back to the video. Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. It says, So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, okay? And wait continually for your God. So, in this context, and I think in all contexts, so I retract that first statement, what it means to wait on God is to hold fast to love and justice. That requires relationship with others. Do you see that? So many of us in our waiting process and seasons, we neglect the faith of other people. 
We neglect relationship with people. We just minimize the significance of other people being in our life because we simply don't have time to think about them or tend to their needs or be available. And there's wisdom in knowing your capacity and knowing your limits for sure. But to say, I'm just waiting for God to do something and I'm not moving until it happens. And you're ignoring all the people around your life who God has called you to minister to and love and bring justice and, and show them the love of Jesus and preach the truth. To neglect that means you're not really waiting for God the biblical way. Okay, I'm just going to say it like that. You, you're, you're not waiting on God the biblical way. Habakkuk 2, um, talking about the vision of Habakkuk. Okay, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not lie. If it, seem, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. Um, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There are those who are puffed up, arrogant, and prideful. Um, and there are those who live by faith. And there's humility, right? There's a sense of um, acknowledging that um, God's ways are better than mine. I live by the faith that I have in my God. And so people who get eager uh, and I guess impatient with God's timing, well, it's not, ta it's taking too long, you know. Uh, Peter will address this with people who say, hey, look, I get this all the time. We're just another generation waiting for the end of days and waiting for God to destroy the world. We're just another generation. I don't think your God is real. Peter talks about how those people have no idea what they're talking about. It's coming. It's going to come quickly, but God is being patient. And so when it comes to living by faith and pursuing love and justice, um, there's always, I'll say it like this, for those of you that get overwhelmed with like the amount of people in your life and it's like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, or maybe I'm sick, or maybe I'm just, I'm so worried and anxious that I don't have time for anyone. Let me say it like this. You, while you're waiting for God to do something in your life, you can always be caring for someone. That doesn't mean every second of every day I'm dedicated to making someone else's life better. But when God brings opportunity for you to encourage, bless, strengthen, feed someone, how often do you pass those up because you're too self-centered and you just don't have time for anyone else? There's wisdom in navigating this. I'm not saying every second of every day I need to be devoted to the needs of people. Jesus was not that. Jesus actually disappointed lots of people and left lots of needs unmet because it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right way. God was leading him somewhere else. In the same way, you, you can't be led around by the needs of people. All I'm asking is when you are waiting on God, do you care at all about the needs of those around you? And if you don't, then, then you might come to the conclusion that you're not waiting on God the right way because you've po possibly passed up lots of opportunities to care for others because you've already decided, I don't have the capacity to help anyone. That's not true. You have something you can give. Even when you're physically exhausted, even when you're spiritually exhausted, even when you're mentally just, just not there, there's something you can give to the people that God brings your way. And you have to be discerning about, is this someone you've called me to really invest into and pray with and care for? And, and let, or, or, or God is, 
there's someone else that's gonna come along and help them because I can't be available to everyone. So I'm not saying be available to everyone and be mastered by needs. I'm just saying waiting on God means keeping his ways and caring for his people in the process. Every one of us will play a role in caring for the household of God. To write off your responsibility and just chalk it up to the, the leadership of your church is the wrong thing to do. To go, ah, oh, my leadership will take care of that. You misunderstand the structure of the church. The people of God are actually called to minister to one another. And the leadership is just there to promote that and help that and increase that. All the leadership is doing, your pastors, your shepherds, your prophets, your evangelists, your, they're all there, okay, to just make the church minister to each other better, to equip them, to train them. Okay, verse 44, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So this is God giving us more, those who are faithful, God gives people more responsibility, especially in the coming kingdom. If you think your responsibility ends with this life and all labor and all work ceases, you might want to read the scriptures a little more. Work continues. It's just a better way of working and laboring for the kingdom and having responsibility. But if that servant says to himself, you know, my master's delayed in coming. That sounds a lot like Israel, right? When they're waiting for Moses to come down the mount and they're like, Moses has taken a while. I think he's delayed. Who says he's delayed? You're assuming he was supposed to come earlier. You nation of Israel, you're assuming Moses is late. And Moses is not late. Moses is right on time. You just expected him to come sooner. Thank you guys for the gifts. I want to say that. Kelly and um, Pack, thank you guys. So when Israel's waiting, going, Moses is late, they attach their own man-made time frame to Moses coming down. They said, well, he should come down sooner. He didn't, so he's delayed. These servants of the master are doing the same thing. Well, the master is delayed. The master is delayed. And here, here's how you know that the servant has assumed the master's late. He starts beating, instead of feeding and caring for and loving the servants, he actually beats them. Now this took quite the turn. Like this got dark very quickly. Jesus is like, ah, oh, the faithful servants whom I find caring for my people, I have more responsibilities for you more rewards. He turns around, the servants who are beating the other servants, whoa, those are the two categories of people we're working with, okay. One's caring for, the other one's just straight up beating the other servants. And they're eating and drinking and getting drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect. Do you know why? Well, technically, the master comes at a day when none of them expect. But it's even more unexpected for these unfaithful servants because they assumed he's delayed, maybe not coming at all. Like the unfaithful servant who had the one talent in the parable of the talents. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect, at an hour he doesn't know, and he will cut him in pieces. And put him with who? 
the unfaithful. There are two kinds of servants here. There are the blessed servants and there are the unfaithful servants. You need to understand this is not a, a, a commentary on soteriology and salvation and our eternal security. That's not the point of this parable. The parable is mainly about, hey, there are people who actually do the will of the master and there are people who don't. Don't get caught up in the language. If we're going to say anything about this, it is mainly about Israel being unfaithful. The nation of Israel, the wicked generation of Jesus' time, they are mainly the unfaithful in this, in this parable. The faithful are the remnant, the apostles, anyone who believes, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you know, those who believe in Jesus and those who don't within the nation of Israel. He's, he's giving commentary, not just on the end days when he comes back, but specifically regarding the nation of Israel. Okay, so don't get all caught up in soteriology and what, how does this work with eternal security? That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. The third thing you need to know um, about the will of God for you while you're waiting is number one, seek the kingdom. Number two, care for God's people. Number three, Know the master's will. And I know you're going, I thought you've been telling us about the master's will this whole time. I have been. But you don't need me to tell you what God's will is for your life. You don't need any preacher or teacher or prophet or evangelist or man of God or YouTuber to tell you what God's will is for your life. God is an open book. You can know as much as you desire regarding God's will for your life. He's made it abundantly clear. You can get into the specifics of bearing fruit, of laboring for the kingdom, of serving people. You can get into all those specifics about your mind being renewed, like brothers and sisters are putting here in the chat. You can know the master's will. Ephesians 5, I'm going to go there. This may or may not be the scripture that I have in mind. Okay. Right here it says, hey, hopefully you guys can see this. It says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, all that is right, all that is true. Now watch. Try to discern. That means you're consciously using your mind. You're thinking through things, right? You're reasoning through. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, um, where is it where it talks about the mind? We could go to Romans 12 and talk about the mind that needs to be renewed. But it might be at chapter 4. We'll just run with Romans 12 too, okay? The point is, you and I are invited by God in the waiting period throughout your whole life. You're invited into this beautiful knowledge of his will. He wants you to know what he wants you to do. Some of you need to write that down like it's that simple. He wants you to know what he wants you to do. You can know the will of God for your life. Now, how specific that goes and all the details that surround that that's on God to reveal what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. The point is, you can open the scriptures whenever you want. 
and go, God, while I'm waiting for you, while I'm waiting for something to happen, what am I supposed to be doing? Because there are two kinds of servants, right? One of them is blessed or faithful. The other one is unfaithful, okay? Psalm chapter 25, verse 3 through 5, tells us what it looks like to wait on God. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Not like Chinese wantons, like, uh, I think it's like this uh, ungodly desire and craving. Uh, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Now listen to what he says. All who wait for you, none, none who wait for you will be put to shame. None. Anytime you faithfully wait on God, you will never be disappointed. Like you won't be put to shame. When you truly wait for God and you're believing for the things he wants to do and you're doing what he's called you to and, and you're looking to him as ultimate, you won't be put to shame. Like he'll come through for you. He will act. So maybe in some sense, like Mary and Martha, some of your expectations won't be met. And you might be disappointed in some ways because you simply wanted the wrong things or you believe for God to do the wrong thing. So in that sense, sure, but the whole nothing's gonna happen, that's not gonna be true of anyone who waits on God. There will always be something he does that is best for us because we seek his kingdom. Make me to know your ways. Oh Lord, teach me your paths. So guess what God wants to show us? Guess what he wants us to desire for ourselves? To know his ways and to know his paths. There's, it's interesting. Uh, something I've been reflecting on is that there's a lot more God wants to invite us into. There's a lot more that God wants us to know and to understand that we simply don't have the desire for. So it's like God is eagerly waiting to give us a lot more understanding, a lot more knowledge a lot more insight into his ways and what he's doing in our life. He's inviting us to partner with him. He's our good father. There's a lot we can know that we're just unwilling to know. We're not hungry for it. We're not desperate for it. We're not longing for his ways the way we need to be in order to see his paths and the deep ways for our life. We don't want it. And so we assume, well, this is all I can know because we've settled and we have no other hunger. We have no desire to know more. It is very dangerous. Like there's both, knowledge is a double-edged sword, okay? Knowledge can either make you aware of how much you don't know or knowledge can cause you to be prideful and settle in knowing what you already know and not growing and not learning more and becoming prideful and arrogant. I always try to maintain a posture a heart posture that says, God, there's a lot I don't know. And I want to know the things that I need to be clear on. Maybe correct my theology. Maybe show me uh, some points of my own doctrine that aren't right. I, I'm open. I want to know more. I'm never going to settle for knowing what I know now. I want more. That, that's the heart of someone who waits on God. Is make me know your ways. While I'm waiting for you to do something in my life, at least show me more of your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. There's a, there's, a, there's a desire and a heart to know the ways of God while you're waiting for him.
And if, if you're only focused on what God can do for you in your life and what you're waiting for him to do, and you have no desire to know his ways or his heart or his paths or his truth, I'm telling you, you're, you're missing out on so much. There's so much more God has for us. We just don't have the hunger or even the capacity for it because we settle. And we're like, what I know about you is good enough for me. No, no, no. When you're waiting on God, he's taking you deeper. He's provoking in you a desire for more of him. That's what the waiting period does. When you're waiting on God, he's stretching you. He's stretching you. He's increasing your capacity. He's increasing your hunger for him. He's provoking you to ask for more. And when you do, you're like the psalmist. God, teach me your ways. Help me to know your paths. Teach me your truth. I want to know your ways, Lord. You're the God of my salvation. And you, watch, I wait all day long. So people who wait for God are those who want to know his ways in the process. They're not, we often get tunnel vision. Okay, I don't have a, just a random paper towel little circle around here, but we often get tunnel vision where it's like, we're only looking for God to do that one thing, healing, restoration, answered prayer, financial stability, change in career, direction or clarity, freedom from addiction. We get so just, we get tunnel vision on that one thing, right? And if you actually take away that tunnel, you'll see that there's a lot more you can be asking for while you're waiting for God to do that one thing. And one of the main things you can be asking God for while you're waiting for whatever it is you're believing him to do. You can say, God, I want to know your ways and your paths and your truth. Along the way, teach me who you are while I'm waiting. Teach me who you are while I'm waiting. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Some of the most beautiful moments between me and my kids, who are five and almost three, have been those moments where I could have been bored because we were waiting in line for a ride or we were waiting on a plane or we were waiting in the car to get somewhere really far and we're just sitting there and I could have just sat there in silence and been bored, but instead we engaged, we interacted, we grew together in our relationship, right? And that waiting period actually strengthened my relationship with my kids. That's what God wants to do for you. Is why it's not just about the end, it's about in the in-between. What is God doing to strengthen your relationship with him? So know the master's will. There's a lot more you can know about the will of God that you've already decided that's not for me to know or I don't want to know it or I'm not willing to put in the work to know it. And God's going, that's fine, but it's available. It's available. So know the master's will, but also we know his will in order to do it. We know his will in order to do it. It's not just knowledge, knowledge, information, data. Yes, I love having information. It's, I want to do your will, God, but I need to know your will. And the servant who knew his master's will, it's not just Jesus is like, hey, you knew what I wanted for you. That's great. He goes, no, you didn't do what you knew to do. Faithfulness is not measured by what you know but by what you do with what you know. 
yeah, some, some of you have been in church for so long, you think, I am good because I know so much. And you actually have done almost nothing with what you know. Because you're always after the next thing. You're just like, more knowledge, more information. Maybe you should pause, slow down on, on absorbing so much knowledge because you haven't at all applied what you already know. Do that. That's faithfulness. That like faithfulness in the mind of God, when we read scripture, is even if you know a little bit, you do a lot with it. Compared to the person who's like, I know so much. I have three degrees. I've been in theology for not, I was born in a theology school. And they do, you know, they put 8% of that information to use. That's not faithfulness. So redefine faithfulness as, hey, while I'm waiting, I'm doing what I know you've called me to. That assumes you have sought the heart of God and sought his face and opened the scriptures long enough to let him teach you what his will is. The last thing is this. The one who didn't know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. There's just lots of beating going on here. Everyone to whom, not eggs either, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. This is the knowledge portion. You knew so much, but you did nothing, and you were accountable for what you knew, but you didn't live like it. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The last thing is this, okay? When it comes to the will of God while you're waiting, okay? The will of God for you is to faithfully manage what he's given you. Faithfully manage. Now, I'm not just talking about the knowledge and the data and the information I'm talking about the resources in your hands, the opportunities you've been given, the people whom God has brought into your life, uh, the, the money he's called you to steward well, faithfully managing God's resources with wisdom. That's part of what it means to wait on God. It means I'm doing what I can with what I have. I'm working what I have, right? I'm working that to make something out of it so I can give the master more instead of sitting on it and waiting for God to do something. So, how the master finds his servants matters. How the master finds his servants matters. The master doesn't make a decision based off what they were doing before his arrival. The master makes a decision based off what they were doing when he arrived. He doesn't come to them and go, what have you guys just been doing before I got here? When he finds them, the judgment comes. So the decision the master makes about the servant is based on what they are doing when he comes. So true biblical service continues and lasts as a lifelong experience. That's what I want you to understand. Biblical service, when it's like, I am serving you, I'm waiting on you, I'm trusting in you, that doesn't stop up to a point. That's a lifelong experience. And so back to verse 44, you can see that the master intends to set the servant over more. He will set him over all his possessions. There's more opportunity. There's more responsibility. And this is mainly about the coming kingdom, new creation. When we reign in the new earth with Jesus, it, I, I say that so flippantly sometimes, but I want us to actually think about that. 
when new creation comes, when heaven and earth collide in the Messiah, when he recreates this whole thing, when we're resurrected to glorified bodies and we are reigning and ruling along the King of Kings under his authority, you're going to have more responsibility based on, it seems, what you've done with what you have. What you've done with what you have. So, let me end it like this. There's one example of someone that came to mind for me who really knew how to wait on the Lord. And weirdly enough, we've referenced a lot of his writings. We've referenced the Psalms quite a bit. And so I think you know who I'm referring to. In 1 Samuel 16, a young shepherd boy, we're not given his age, he's a young shepherd boy. He's anointed to be the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16, okay? He does not actually ascend the throne, he's not actually crowned the king until he's 30 years old, okay? And even then it's just over Judah. It'll take another seven-ish years for David to be crowned the king over all of Israel at the age of 37 or 38, okay? So what happens in between David being anointed and David being crowned is that David is faithful. He's waiting on God. He's been anointed, now he's waiting to actually be crowned, uh, possibly at least 20 years. In the meantime, what he's doing while he's waiting is he plays music for King Saul, right? He's one of his musicians. He plays the harp to help soothe King Saul when a tormenting spirit comes upon him. We see that in 1 Samuel 16. Okay, so he's serving the current fake king, technically, while he himself has been anointed as the real king. He's waiting on God to accomplish his purpose in his timing. He knows it's coming. He trusts God. How do we know that? Because David keeps doing what he's been told to do. He keeps playing music for King Saul, who, who also wants to kill him. And then we have David's father, Jesse, Say, hey, David, you know, your brothers are on the front line fighting the Philistines. They're probably hungry. You're my youngest. Can you just bring some bread to them? Now, as the anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, you might expect him to have an attitude. Bread? Do you know who I am? Could have you executed right now. Now, David brings bread to his brothers, listens to his dad, submits himself, waiting on God to be crowned. And he does what he knows he's supposed to be doing, shepherding, playing the harp for King Saul, and listening to his father. And by listening, he finds himself face to face with Goliath, slings that bad boy down, boom! Chops off his head with a sword twice his size. Yeah! All the while, still just a shepherd boy waiting to be crowned king. And then we have Saul trying to kill David while David's playing the harp to help soothe him. Imagine that. Imagine you trying to, you're getting therapy or counseling, sitting on the couch, 
right? Your therapist is trying to help you work through some stuff and something rises up in you and you just grab your spear like you have when you walk into the therapist's office and you throw it at your therapist. That's essentially what Saul does to David. David's just And Saul's, mm, something takes over him, mm, grabs a javelin, flings it at David, who's trying to help. And David just goes, I think I'm out of here. All right, and so now we have David on the run, living away from his home, his family, technically like where his God resides in the tabernacle. We don't have the temple yet. And he's longing to go back into his among his people to be in the presence of God. That's what a lot of the psalmists are. David's on the run. And there are two times he could have killed Saul. Two times. He chose not to. Do you know why? He was not going to cut corners. He was not going to disobey God. And he was not going to shortcut the process and accelerate it at his pace. David is waiting to be crowned the king two times. The opportunity is laid on his lap to just end the whole thing and be crowned the king already. Two times. And both times he goes, no, this is the anointed one of God. He's the king right now. I respect it. I will honor my God. I'll do what he wants me to do. I won't shortcut the process even though I can. Don't, don't think that when you're waiting, the enemy won't present opportunities for you to shortcut the process and make it go by faster. There will be those temptations that come your way while you're waiting. The enemy will present it and go, did God really say? You can just become like God right now. So David's waiting. He goes, I know God in his timing. He'll take King Saul out and he'll exalt me. I'm not taking it into my own hands. No way. And then eventually he is crowned the king. Like 20 years, 20 years waiting for technically what is rightfully yours right now, because he's anointed, but he doesn't claim it. He lets God give it to him in his timing, in his way. He could have ended Saul and God, God is with me. Yes, now's my time to shine. <sighs> Saul, I've been waiting for this day my whole life. Could have ended him twice. Didn't. Said, I dare not transgress the command of God and step in front of God. I'll let him do it. That's what it looks like to wait. You're committed to the ways of God, even when you have an opportunity to accelerate. If you have an opportunity to accelerate and seemingly a shortcut, oh, I can end the waiting. Here's what I would recommend. Bring that before the Lord and say, instead of assuming this is an opportunity from you, God, I'm going to make sure and I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways and say, Lord, is this from you? If it's not, make it clear. I dare not shortcut the process and obtain it my own, in my own way. If it is from you, make it clear. That, that's what I would recommend. Is that any opportunity you think is coming from God for promotion, you dare not assume you bring that before the Lord and you get godly counsel, and you pray and you fast as much as you can within that time period. And you say, God, I acknowledge, I acknowledge you, establish my steps. David trusted God to get him to the throne in the right time and at the right, in the right way. Now we have to learn 
how to glean wisdom from that and go, you know what, Lord, while I'm waiting, I can seek first your kingdom. I can care for your people. I can progressively know your will better. I can know your will and do it. And I can faithfully manage the resources you've put in my hands. I can serve with that. I can use what I have and multiply that to give you more. Because that's what you desire, Lord, is glory. So when it comes to waiting on God, waiting on God is not laziness, it's not complacency, it's not inactivity, it's not sitting around until something happens. It's you are going to do what I can't, but in the meantime, I'll do what you've told me to do and what I can do. That's the most important thing you can take away is that all of you, whatever you're waiting and believing for God to do, you can be doing something. Just make sure it's what God has called you to do and not what you've imagined on your own. If you didn't already know, this is Above Reproach Ministry. You can go to abovereproachministry.com or you can check out the link in, links in the description. Um, uh, you can join our online church, which is phenomenal, great family atmosphere, man. Come join if you're looking for a good community to grow in your faith with. Um, it's on Discord, which is an app. Okay, we're not sewing Discord. This is the name of the app. I don't get to decide that. So come and join. The link is in the YouTube description as well as on our website. We have a bunch of free stuff like free devotional studies, free online skills courses, free Bible study worksheets, free Bible study workshops. All this free stuff is made possible because of generous supporters like you because this is a crowdfunded ministry and I have a wife and two kids and this is my full-time job, you might say. Um, you can get a copy of my book, Fruitful which is the essential keys to living the most fruitful, abundant life this side of heaven. Um, it's not, trust me, it's not like prosperity gospel stuff. It's like gospel-centered. Um, you can get a, some of our merch, wear Jesus on your body, represent our ministry, have opportunities to evangelize. Um, and also, there are ways to give. You can go to abovereproachministry.com slash donate. And there are multiple ways to give if you guys feel led to give and support what God is doing here. Because all this free content is made available to everyone around the world because of generous supporters. So you can give uh, by making a check payable to me, Jason Camacho, not Above Reproach Ministry because still figuring things out with the whole 501c3 and that. So until we figure that stuff out, if you're going to make a check payable uh, to me, my name, Jason Camacho, don't put Above Reproach Ministry in there. You can send it to P.O. Box 338 Green Cove Springs. You can donate through your debit or credit card right here on the website. Buy some church merch. Become a monthly patron. You can give through PayPal or Cash App or Venmo. And also, we have a new podcast uh, getting officially released tomorrow. Happy Valentine's Day. You and your spouse or your loved one can sit and hear us talk about the church. It's called Above Reproach, Ministry, uh, Above Reproach Church Podcast. And so if you guys want to check that out, officially airs tomorrow. Two episodes get released. We'll have one, we'll have it released every single Tuesday. You will get a new episode out, but you'll at least have two out tomorrow. Just talking church life, how to function as the global church, talking about church issues and what that means for us. I think you'll enjoy the conversations. Um, or you can just listen to our sermons, all these messages on YouTube. You can find just the audio version, the podcast version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So if you want the link to our new podcast that airs tomorrow or the links to our current podcast, which is just these sermons, audio format, you can go on our website right here or in the YouTube description below. All right? So I uh, hope you guys will check that out. It's going to be pretty legit. 
and I want to hear your guys' feedback. And a new episode will air every Tuesday uh, for the Above Reproach Church podcast. All right. Uh, Wednesday we'll be here for a Q&A. I want to hear your guys' questions regarding this topic or anything relating to waiting on God. Um, I'm going to try and do that from now on. I've stretched myself too far. I don't think you guys understand like what goes into these messages and to do like two or three a week is insane. Like most pastors do just one a week and they're exhausted. And so I'm going to dial it back a little and I'm just going to preach at least through each series we're going to go through. I'm going to preach every Monday and then Wednesday we'll have a Q&A kind of follow-up conversation uh, where you guys get to share your thoughts and I'll try and respond as best as I can. And then um, all the other videos that get released throughout the week will be somewhat related. All right, I've talked enough. You guys have a good day and keep moving towards Jesus as always. Love you guys.